Uh, how many enjoyed last week? Yeah? So it was really good, wasn't it? And it was kind of centered around, uh, for those that weren't here, it's an Easter series. And last week was called Betrayed by Me. And it's really spent most of the time looking at the, at the character of Judas and actually just giving some extra kind of things to think about regarding that. And it really asked one uh, sort of key question, well, I felt, uh, and then a bunch of questions came, up, came off it. And the very first question was, do you, like Jesus, have a price? So, uh, and, and what it's coming back to is, are there things that Jesus or God can do or not do that become our price? You won't do this for me, so I'm out of here. Or I want you to do that, so that's what I need you to do for me to stay saved and stay following you. And that are we really, can we fall into that trap of it becomes all about us? Or are we actually part of the vine and actually realizing that we're actually following Jesus and he calls the shots and God calls the shots and we follow and we do. Um, as he requires and that. So this week uh, is moving on and uh, it's, it's w- another really challenging session and it's going to be really good. So are you ready, Hunter Buddy? You all ready? So let's watch session two and then I've got some questions at the end of that just to talk through. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, Sit while I go and pray, for my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. In our journey toward the empty tomb, we come to a part of the journey that honestly, I feel like we ought to go through on our knees, the Garden of Gethsemane. Martin Luther said that one of the most surprising and quite frankly, a little disturbing aspects about Jesus' death is that Jesus does not seem to approach death in his final hours with the brave defiance that other great martyrs in the past often have. For example, many Jewish martyrs went to their, their deaths around Jesus' time, shaking their fists in the face of the evil empire saying, you can't defeat me, we will never back down before you. 
In fact, many of Jesus' own followers would, would go to death this way. I think of Polycarp, who was a disciple of the apostle John. He was burned at the stake when he was 86 years old. Uh, the story goes that when they came to take him, he, he prayed peacefully for an hour. And then they took him and they tied him to the pyre. And the emperor asked him if he had any last words. And he looked around. And he said, you think I'm afraid of this fire? You ought to be afraid of the fires of hell. I'm not afraid of this fire. Come on, boys, bring on the fire. That's the kind of defiance that we expect from brave martyrs. Yet here in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, in the hours just before Jesus' death, we find Jesus, dare I say it, weak, trembling, almost scared, asking God if there's any way possible to remove this cup from him. What's happening? You know, there's a very unusual thing that occurs in these verses that's easy to overlook. Three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus retreats to the Father for comfort. And three times, Jesus is met with something that he'd never experienced from God the Father. Silence, complete and total silence. You see, up until this moment, Jesus had enjoyed the closest intimacy with the Father. The Father had always radiated back openness to him, sometimes even affirming him publicly, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yet now, in the hour that Jesus needs the Father most, there's only silence. And so Jesus, almost a little desperate, comes to his disciples to find comfort, to ask them to stay up with him during this hour of trouble. But all three times, they're asleep. He's all alone. What's happening? Theologians say that this was the beginning, the preamble to the crucifixion. Before the first nail was driven into Jesus's hands, Jesus found himself abandoned by God. The Father had already begun to turn his face away. Jesus was totally and utterly alone. You see, the ultimate curse of the cross was abandonment by God. That's the essence of spiritual death, complete and total abandonment by God. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had begun to taste of it. That sense of aloneness is so overwhelming to him that Matthew tells us in verse 38, that it almost killed him. Just the pressure of being separated from God. Uh, the gospel writer Luke, in his account of this story, says that Jesus was so overwhelmed that he began to sweat great drops of blood, a, a condition that doctors now call hematridosis, where you're under such strain that the capillaries in your face and your extremities burst. One of the pastors at our church told me that when his sons were very young, um, he left the community pool. He had three young sons. When he got back to the car, he noticed that that only two of his sons were with him and his four-year-old was missing. So we went back to the pool. They'd been the last ones there. And he said, to my horror, I saw what no parent ever wants to see. He said, I saw my son lying motionless at the bottom of the pool. He said, I jumped in and pulled him out and we called 911. We began to give him CPR. Thank God, he said, we were able to revive him. When they got into the hospital, they said things were gonna be fine, but they asked if they could keep him overnight just to, to make sure everything was okay. And he said, as I... As I was looking at my son, I noticed he had all these little purple blotches on his face. And so I asked the doctor what they were. And the doctor said, well, evidently when your son thought he was drowning, he was screaming for you or for, or for his mom with such ferocity that it caused the capillaries in his face to, to burst. I want you to try to get your mind around this. Here is the son of God who spoke the worlds into existence, who created the stars and the galaxies and the atom under such strain of soul, calling out with such intensity for God, his father, that the capillaries in his face are bursting. Verse 37 calls it being overwhelmed with a sense of shocking horror. That's literally what it says in Greek. Jesus was given in the garden in that moment, a taste of hell, 
abandonment by God. You know, I've often wondered why God would let Jesus experience this before the crucifixion. I mean, why not wait until Jesus was, was firmly attached to the cross with nails before, before giving him a glimpse of this? The Puritan Jonathan Edwards had an answer. He said, well, God was letting him experience this in the garden so that we could see Jesus taste of the cross, getting the taste of the isolation and rejection of the condemnation for sin. And then we see him choose willingly to go through with it, knowing exactly what he was going into. That way, Jonathan Edwards said, we could see his love for us put on display even more. God demonstrates his love for us on the cross. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we can get a taste, get a glimpse of how deep and how wide and how long and how high his love is for us. Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, the joy set before him. What joy? What joy? Think about it. What was Jesus going to obtain on this side of the cross that he didn't have on that side? Something that just the thought of, of getting it brought him joy. Was it the approval of God? Well, that was already his. How about control of the universe? Well, that was his from the foundation of the world. It was none of those things. There's only one thing that Jesus did not have on that side of the cross that he does have on this side. You and me. We were that joy. We were the joy that gave him the ability to endure the cross. The joy of purchasing us and restoring us was what gave Jesus the strength to go through with this. What this scene shows us is that in Jesus's darkest hour, when hell was literally squeezing the life out of him, that's what, by the way, what Gethsemane means. It means oil press. He was literally having the life squeezed out of him. There, Jesus would not forsake us. His love for us would not let him forsake us. From the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're gonna see that Jesus went willingly to the cross to save us. Here's two things that we are supposed to do from this encounter in the Garden of Gethsemane, two ways that we're supposed to respond. The first is that if you never have, you need to choose to receive Jesus's love for you that was expressed during his darkest hour. You see, all this was for you. Jesus was forsaken for you. He was abandoned for you. The curse of your sin and my sin was separation from God. And Jesus willingly endured that for us on the cross. Somehow on the cross, Jesus endured an eternity of hell in our place so that we would never have to. It's a gift that he offers to all who will receive it. He's done this for you because he loves you. But you have to choose to receive that for yourself. Have you done that? Are you sure you've done that? So the first way that we're supposed to respond is to, to make sure we've received Jesus' love for us that was expressed in his darkest hour. The second way we're supposed to respond is that we should stand assured of his love for us in our darkest hour. You see, if Jesus, during his darkest hour, refused to forsake us, can't we be sure now that he won't forsake us in our darkest hour? If Jesus did not forsake us when God's wrath against our sin was literally crushing the life out of him, can we be sure that he won't forsake us or leave us now that we are his beloved children? You know, sometimes I'll hear people say in, in a moment of suffering that they're, they're going through their own Gethsemane or that they're, they're bearing their own cross. And I, I understand what they're getting at. But I want to say in one sense, no, you are not. Jesus went through the real Gethsemane, the only Gethsemane and the real cross, the only cross so that you would never have to face the utter aloneness of condemnation. 
Jesus went through utter abandonment, complete separation from God so that you and I could know in our dark hours that he will never leave or never forsake us and never turn his back on us. You see, I don't know everything that God is doing in some of the dark chapters of my life, but one thing I'm sure of, in those dark chapters, God has not abandoned me and he's not forsaken me. The Garden of Gethsemane proves that. If Jesus did not forsake me in his darkest hour, he won't forsake me now. He was abandoned for me so I would never have to fear being alone. So be assured, no matter how dark the day you face, Jesus will never turn his back on you. He was forsaken for you so that you would never be. You have in him a faithful advocate who will never leave you or forsake you and who stands always at the right hand of God for you, hearing your prayers and ready to help. Have you received him? And are you resting in that knowledge? Really good, eh? Really good. So I've got a few questions here. Now, the links to this, if you're a life group leader, have been sent out to you. So you can um, actually download um, Join Right Now Media that this comes off and have this uh, play this video at your life groups. There's also the study guide and the questions that I'm about to read out. So you have all the tools at your disposal. Um, so uh, if you didn't get that via email this week, uh, let me know and I'll resend it to you. So I've got a few questions that we'll just spend some time thinking about, um, and we may talk about one or two. Um, and you can just think about them and ponder them as the week goes on. And then uh, when you're at Life Group, you can talk about them. How's that? If that's what your Life Group leaders want to do. Um, you're free to do something else if you've got something else that you're working on. Um, so the first question, when was a time you felt afraid, alone and anxious? And where did you turn to for hope during that time? Where did you turn to for hope during that time? So let's ask a different question now. Where could you have turned to? What are all the things in the world you could have turned to? to try and find solace or hope. Because we all know that the world, the world has, when it comes to scenarios like this, they look to all kinds of things, don't they? And we can, as people, look to all kinds of things. Alcohol, drugs, uh, lean on people that, for support. You know, we put our trust in people, but we know that people let us down. Alcohol wears off. Drugs wreck our brains and wear off and cause debt. You know, everything that we put our trust in will let us down, but there are some things that don't. So where did you put your hope during this time? Have there been times in your life where you felt like God wasn't listening to you? I think we could, we could all put our hand up on that, I suspect. I heard a yes over here. If so, what made you think he wasn't listening to your prayers? What made you think he wasn't listening to your prayers? I don't know how many discussions I have with people where they say, I'm going through a hard time and I've asked God for answers and nothing's come. Or he hasn't told me, you know, I remember meeting weekly with a person who uh, was searching for God, but I was aware that at the start that he 
that he wasn't actually sincerely searching. He was basically ticking boxes so he could decide that God wasn't real. So he, was, he actually wasn't being sincere, and I knew that from the very start. But he said, oh, I've prayed many times that God will just reveal himself to me. Um, and I think God is faithful to do that. But do we have God on a time frame sometimes? Do we say, well, you have to answer me by this time? You have to answer me by next week? Or will we just decide to follow God and ask for answers? And if he gives them to us, that's great. But if he doesn't, that's great. Have we come to that mature point where we will accept to follow God, whether he answers us or whether he doesn't? See, the thing I love about that picture with Jesus Jesus asked, can the cup be taken away? Can, can I not be put through the pain? But he did it regardless. You know, regardless, your will, not my will. And I think that is the place of maturity. So if so, what made you think he wasn't listening to you? Next one, even if God feels distant to you, what could you do to live in faith that he is listening to and able to help you? So what can you do to live in faith that he is listening to you and able to help you? Can anyone think of some things you can do? Wait and be patient. But how long do you have to wait for? It's God's time frame, eh? Yeah. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Spoken by a good man there. Be still and know that I am God. What else? Trust. Trust. It's funny we do it every day, don't we? I'm standing on a stage that I have faith that I'm not going to fall through. I'm, sta- I'm standing in a room with you and trust that there's not going to be an earthquake and the building's going to fall on my head. Every day we're exercising faith, but when it comes to living faith with God, it can get a little bit more challenging, can't it? It's good to always look at it and consider it. Next question. When you attempted to give up on God's timing, what may make it difficult for you to wait on God when you feel anxious and afraid? So what kind of things can we as people find um, it makes it difficult for us when we're anxious and afraid? Anyone think of things? We keep going over the negative thoughts. Yep, that's great. Any others? Sorry? Lack of hope. Yep. We don't take time to pray. Yep.
we just do things anyway. That's a good one. That's really good. Yeah. I don't know how many people I've met with who have said, can we catch up and talk? But as I'm sitting down talking with them, I realize they, they don't really want to talk. They just want to tell me what they've decided. And it's often, when it's that scenario, it's often not based on the Bible or wisdom. So that's a really good thing we can, that we can always do, eh? Make sure our decisions are sound. We talk to wise people and it is biblically based what we choose to do. Anything else? What things can make it difficult for us to wait on God when we feel anxious and afraid? Forgetting his blessings? Yeah, yeah. We focus on fear rather than faith. Yeah, yep. That's good. So it's that same thing as um, Ina said, you know, as the bad stuff keeps coming up over and over, we remember the negative, the, the times things have gone wrong rather than the times that things have gone right. But people by faith remember the times when things have gone right. Next question, what would it look like for you to rest in the assurance of your faith in Jesus over your present circumstances? What would it look like for you to rest in your assurance of your faith in Jesus over your present circumstances and over what your feelings may be telling you about Jesus? So can you build in your mind a mental picture of what it would look like to actually excel in this stuff, to actually live in the assurance of faith in Jesus over our circumstances, despite what they look like, build a mental picture of what it looks like to walk through them in God, in Jesus. And I'm going to give you a memory verse. So it's Lamentations 3, verses 21 to 24. And actually Courts um, touched on it a second ago. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loyal kindness never ceases. His compassions never end. They are fresh every morning. Your faithfulness is abundant. My portion is the Lord. I have said to myself, so I will hope in him. Isn't that, a, isn't that so cool? I'll read it again. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loyal kindness never ceases. His compassions never end. They are fresh every morning. Your faithfulness is abundant. My portion is the Lord. I have said to myself, so I will hope in him. How many re remember that song, uh, The Steadfast Love of the Lord Never Ceases? His mercy, mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. What a great song that was. I don't know how many times we sung that in the 80s and 90s. 
fantastic song. So there's some stuff to think about. And that was Lamentations 3, 21 to 24. So that's a really good verse to focus on this week and pray through and, and just remind ourselves. Scripture, it's interesting. Jesus, when he was surrounded by challenge, and even when we look at when the devil was tempting him, he always responded with Scripture. Because there's power in Scripture. It is God's Word at the end of the day, and it carries power. And I've always found that I've always gone back to Scripture when I'm trying to decide what to do or combat a situation. I always go back to what does the Bible say about the situation? Because my feelings are fickle. My moods come and go. I might have had sleep. I might not have had sleep. And it may change drastically how I look at a problem. But the Bible isn't colored by that stuff. It's rock solid. It's the same today as yesterday. I can look at it any day, and it's not going to give me dodgy advice. Other people are fallible like I am, though. And they might be tired or not tired, and their opinions might change from one day to another. But we can trust in the Bible. How about I pray?